Welcome to the Birmingham Vineyard Podcast. We hope you find it insightful and encouraging. If you want to find out more about us, head to our website, birminghamvineyard.com. Well, now, how many of you begin to feel that your blood starts to boil when you think about someone who says one thing and then does another? I do. Like politicians who uh, talk about the benefits of environmental living but drive enormous gas-guzzling cars? Or have you felt the outrage at the public officials who told us the importance of COVID restrictions and then did something completely different? Makes my blood boil. And we really react to these moments where people say one thing and do another. And it's really easy to call it out in other people. But sometimes we realise that actually it comes a bit closer to home. And sometimes we can be those people. We can all say one thing and then do something completely different. There are lots of things that we believe to be true about life, about faith, about God. But then somehow when the rubber hits the road, it's really easy to not do that, but to function in a different way. For example, everybody knows that broccoli and kale are really good for us. But mostly we crave things that we know we should not be consuming, like crisps or chocolate. We know that there is no nutritional benefit whatsoever in consuming a bag of crisps. But if you open a bag of crisps, I will eat the whole bag. I will not be able to stop at one. And I know that there's no benefit to eating those crisps, but I'll eat them. I believe that they're not good for me, but I don't act on that belief. The truth is that this is a consistent theme in the lives of lots of us who try to follow Jesus. We say we believe something, But it is so hard to put it into practice. So James's central concern in this passage that we're going to look at today is, do our actions match up with our words? So if you've got some kind of gadget with a bit of Bible on it, or you can follow on the screen, today we're going to be looking at James chapter 2 and verses 14 to 26. But we're going to start with 14 to 18. So I'll read that to you now. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. So here in this passage, James is highlighting the inconsistency between what we say and what we do. It's a little bit like the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans 7, where he says, I want to do what's good, but I don't. And I don't want to do what's wrong, but I do that anyway. And James is going on in consistent form. Uh, you'll have noticed that he's really quite tough in what he says. He says it straight down the line. This is tough love. And he's calling out hypocrisy. Tim Keller, who um, recently died, he gave us a really good definition of a hypocrite. It's an inconsistent person that says one thing, but does another. And knows that they're doing something wrong, but puts up a front. And this is exactly what James is getting at. If we're being really honest... Do we have a genuine and authentic faith in Jesus? The theologian and philosopher Dallas Willard said this, we often speak of people not living up to their faith. Genuine beliefs are made obvious by what people actually do. 
We always live up to our beliefs, or down to them, as the case may be. Nothing else is possible. It is the nature of belief. So James is saying that our genuine belief is made obvious by what we actually do. In other words, our faith is already in action. People can see what we believe by how we live our lives. So we have to get really honest with ourselves and say, do I have a real faith? Am I actually living the faith that I say that I believe in? Is my faith shown by my actions? So in today's passage, we see James talking about what authentic faith is really all about. And we're going to look at three things, love in action, more than words, and beyond reason. So James is saying that a genuine faith results in genuine works. Now, Simon talked really well last week about how um, to honour one another, how to not show favouritism. And now James moves on to how we must serve one another. So we've moved on from our attitude to our actions. So verses 15 to 17, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and food. If one of you says to him, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their needs, what good is it? He's basically calling out a counterfeit faith. He says real faith shows up in real ways. We have to actually do something about it. So our practical expressions of faith in Jesus are visible. They, they might be costly, but it's all about active love for people. And it's a theme which flows throughout the Bible and all the New Testament. I'm not going to read them all, but um, there are three verses that you can just have a look at as I'm speaking that just talk about love in action, faith expressing itself in love, how to know that we're disciples of Jesus by the way that we love one another. So genuine faith isn't indifferent, it's involved. Who likes to think of themselves as a loving person? A few people. Come on, of course, we all like to think that we're loving, we're, we're loving people. Well, how does that show up in our life? Because I'm not just talking about being loving to our friends. Jesus was really straight about that in Luke 6 and verse 32. He said, do you think that you deserve credit for merely loving those who love you? Even sinners do that. For love to be genuine, it has to extend beyond our natural friendship group, beyond people in our own life stage, beyond those in our own culture. And we're really learning that as church family as we're growing together. And I'm really glad that it is what people are experiencing in our church. We want to be and we are growing into a place where faith and hope and love are made visible in how we live. So we're going to pause at this point just for a moment and I would love you to turn on your tables just for a couple of minutes and if you can give an example of a time or a place where you've seen love in action and then gosh honestly you guys are amazing at this already over here in Eastside but what would love in action or what does love in action look like here in Eastside? So you've got a couple of minutes to turn on your tables and talk about those two little questions. Um, let me have your attention back again, if I may. I don't know what some of the things are that you've talked about. I'm guessing you might have talked about talking to people who are not like you, inviting someone home for lunch or for dinner or learning about someone else's home or family or background or turning to somebody that we don't know and um, praying for them. Maybe you talked about <clears throat> giving your car to somebody instead of trading it in or helping somebody with a financial shortfall. Well, James in this passage is talking really practically, isn't he, about brothers and sisters who have genuine needs for food and clothing. He says, show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith 
by my deeds. Perhaps you saw that Facebook post in the church group this week that said we're trying to furnish a house for a Syrian lady who has nothing and then the response being so generous to provide things for her home. I love that. In God's family, we have the genuine reality of some people being in need and other people having surplus. And I love this from Randy Alcorn in his book, The Treasure Principle. Listen to this. Why does God give some of his children more than they need while others have less than they need? So that he may use his children to help one another. When those with too much give to those with too little, two problems are solved. When they don't, two problems are perpetuated. And I, I love that. There are two ways that we can respond, aren't there, to, to need. We can do that kind of spontaneous responding to a need when the Holy Spirit drops something into your heart and says, oh, give that to that person. But we can also be planned and consistent in our giving when we, um, when we give consistently to church, for example. And then in church, when we become aware of the needs that are constant in our church family, we can respond. Both of those things are wonderful. What we really want is to live a life that is whole and integrated, where our beliefs match our practice. And this should be the nature of all faith. Dallas Willard, again, said, you believe something when your whole being is ready to act as if something is so. Faith is not a wild, desperate leap. It's a confidence grounded in reality. To have faith in God is to trust him, to have confidence in him. So faith says, I want to put into practice everything that you, God, invite me to do. So if I asked you to list what um, some signs of somebody who's got a strong faith look like, what kind of things might you suggest? What about you guys over there on the youth table? What might you suggest for ways that you could spot whether somebody had faith? Well, I'm guessing in your minds you're going, probably things like praying or people that read the Bible regularly or people that fast or people that memorize bits of Bible verses. And that's a really good list. That was in our heads anyway. But we're called equally to visit the sick, to serve one another, to show hospitality, to be honest, to control our temper, be consistently kind and helpful, join a Sunday team, grab a bag, fill a bag, give a bag. All of these things are ways that we can show our faith working out in practice. In James 2 verse 18, it says, you have faith, I have deeds. Some people think that there are different kinds of Christians. You might hear someone say something like this, well, I am the praying type. My spirituality is contemplative, prophetic, quite quiet. You might be one of those hands-on practical Christians who actually gets their hands dirty. That's not for me. Honestly, the Bible doesn't support that kind of contrast. And in this passage, James is really calling it out. He's saying, no, your authentic faith has to be more than words. Verse 19, you believe there's one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. This is really harsh, isn't it? James goes back to one of the most basic convictions of Judaism, though, the confession that God is one. It's from the Old Testament where it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And the Jewish believers who heard this would recognise it as part of a prayer which was recited at the, in um, every morning and every evening by Jewish people. It's a declaration found in Deuteronomy. And the issue here that James is saying is just acknowledging who God is isn't enough. Simply saying God is one doesn't get you very far. It doesn't make a difference in your life. 
The affirmation of truth is really important in the Christian faith and it's really central to our worship, but it means nothing to simply say the right things but not do them. James says that this is about this is like having a faith on the level of demons. Demons believe the Bible, they believe there's one God. The difference is they don't bow down and surrender to him. So belief has to translate into action if it's to make any difference. To believe the right stuff, to say the right stuff, to sing the right stuff isn't enough. This is exactly what Jesus said in one of his parables. Um, and I'm going to read this to you from the message because I think it's quite powerful. Matthew 7, 24 to 25. These words I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life, homeowner improvements to your standard of living. They are foundational words, words to build a life on. If you work these words into your life, you're like a smart carpenter who built his house on solid rock. Rain poured down, the river flooded, a tornado hit but nothing moved that house. It was fixed to the rock. But if you just use my words in Bible studies and don't work them into your life, you're like a stupid carpenter who built his house on the sandy beach. When a storm rolled in and the waves came up, it collapsed like a house of cards. And another way to capture this um, is in the book You Are What You Love by James K.A. Smith. And he, he says this, Jesus' command to follow him is a command to align ourselves and our loves and our longings with his, to want what God wants, to hunger and thirst after God and to crave a world where he is all in all. And then jumping a little bit, Jesus is a teacher who doesn't just inform our intellect, but forms our very loves. You are what you love because you live towards what you really want. Discipleship is more a matter of reformation than acquiring information. Martin Luther wrote, whatever your heart clings to and confides in, that is really your God. I love that Dal what Dallas Willard says about discipleship because actually that's what it's all about, isn't it? It's about discipleship, becoming who Jesus wants us to be and doing the things that Jesus wants us to do. And he says, if I am Jesus' disciple, that means I am with him to learn from him how to be like him. And then jump to the, jumping to the bottom of that, I am learning from Jesus how to live my whole life, my real life, and it covers everything, religious or not. Sometimes reading another version of the Bible, another translation, really brings the passage alive. So let's just listen to how the message version translates this, this passage that we're looking at. James 2 verse 18, I can already hear one of you agreeing by saying, sounds good, you take care of the faith department, I'll handle the works department. Not so fast. You can no more show me your works apart from your faith than I can show you my faith apart from my works. Faith and works, works and faith, fit together hand in glove. Do I hear you professing to believe in the one and only God, but then observe you complacently sitting back as if you've done something wonderful? That's just great. Demons do that. But what good does it do them? Use your heads. Do you suppose for a minute that you can cut faith and works in two and not end up with a corpse on your hands? Hard-hitting stuff. This, this causes a few questions to come up in my mind. Is James saying we're not saved by our faith? Is James saying we're saved by the works that we do? Some people have tried to use this passage to say actually the Bible contradicts itself. So how do we square this with what Paul says about salvation being by faith alone? He says that in Ephesians 2 and verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Well, we need to remember that James would have been familiar with the teaching of, of Paul. In fact, James and Paul knew each other. They'd met. 
James is probably offering a little bit of correction, not to Paul himself, but to the followers of Paul who have taken that faith alone teaching and slightly distorted it. It's obvious that people were taking Paul's, wrote, Paul's words and slightly changing their meaning. James is concerned that faith must be expressed in love. And that's exactly the same as Paul. So you'll remember that Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, I can have faith that moves mountains, but if I don't have love, I'm nothing. And Paul goes on, doesn't he, to describe love in really detailed terms. He says love is patient, love is kind, love doesn't envy, love doesn't boast, love isn't proud. Love shows up in very practical ways. And then James says, you see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. So genuine faith is love in action, it's more than words, and it can be beyond reason. We're looking at the final piece of today's passage now about Abraham and Rahab. Um, he says this, you foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was it not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead." Now, Abraham and Rahab could hardly have been more different as people. And James uses them as two vastly different examples of authentic faith. So Abraham was a Jewish man and Rahab was a Canaanite woman. He was rich. She was poor. He was a patriarch. She was a prostitute. And you might know the stories. Abraham left his home and he set off because God told him to, even though he didn't know where he was going or how, he was, how long he was going to be on the road for or where the destination was. And against hope, he believed God's promise that he would father many nations, even though his body was as good as dead. And then he was willing to sacrifice his only son on an altar because he was confident that God would be faithful to his promises, even when the act of obedience that he was just about to do didn't make any sense at all. And then Rahab, she was a woman, she was a prostitute living in Jericho at the time that Joshua sent spies into the land. She defied the king and she hid those spies and helped them to escape the next day. She and her household were saved when the Israelites took Jericho. She went on and married an Israelite and became the great grandmother of King David and so part of the family tree of Jesus himself. So what do these two people have in common? Well, Abraham believed that God would do what he promised, and he was prepared to put his faith into practice. Rahab, too, had confidence that God was going to bring his kingdom, and she wanted to be part of it. She put her trust in God, even if it was super risky, and it put her at odds with her own community. So both these stories illustrate the same point, that true faith is shown in action, and it, they come, it comes in all shapes and sizes, and it's for every kind of person. You can't always get your head around it. It doesn't always make sense. And sometimes, honestly, it feels as if God will stretch you to the very edge of your comfort zone and then a little bit further because God sometimes calls us to do things beyond reason. Sometimes the life of faith invites us to do things that don't seem to make a whole lot of sense. God might ask you to make a big sacrifice, something that feels huge to you. He might ask you to forgive that person who's really hurt you to be patient with someone who really annoys you. But we might have to go even further. 
we knew some people who uh, God called them to give away all of their salary, all of their income for a season. They didn't know for how long because he told them to do it and they trusted in his goodness and his provision. We know some people who God spoke to about, well, they'd saved up some money for a house deposit and then the Lord spoke to them and prompted them to give the whole lot away to somebody else and then he replaced it afterwards. How reasonable is it to have people living in your home and never charge them any rent? Big or small, every decision for the kingdom counts because our Christian faith always leads to practical action. We can't divide the world into spiritual and practical because the spiritual is the practical. The author John Ortberg said this, and I love it, Jesus is not interested in your spiritual life. He's interested in your life. It's brilliant. James says that our faith must speak to all of our life. How you show up at work tomorrow morning is an outworking of your faith. How you deal with an awkward customer. How you respond to your colleague who's a bit stressed. How you get out of bed in the morning and before you've had your cup of coffee. What you're like when you get behind the wheel of your car, when you're driving in the rush hour. It's all an outworking of our faith. So our commitment to Christ has to be worked out in our daily activities. We cannot say, I believe in Jesus and I go to church, but I keep my personal faith out of my work. James is challenging that person who says, I keep my faith to myself. I don't wear my beliefs on my sleeve. He's saying, no, we cannot be comfortable with a passive, ineffective faith. A genuine faith must display itself. You've heard us talk about DTI and we've heard from the youth what an amazing time they had at DTI. DTI was love in action. At DTI, we saw CEOs of multi-million pound companies alongside people who work on shifts, students, people from every walk of life, all of them together, wearing high-vis jackets and carrying litter pickers. That is love in action. In our own church, I know of people who are phenomenally high earners who still think it's better to give an hour of their actual time rather than simply giving money. As well as giving generously, they choose to serve. You'll regularly see Capo City Centre site pastor with his litter picker cleaning the car park. You'll regularly see Jeff, one of our South site site pastors, getting up early every week to go and drive the van. And you will regularly see Rachel serving in Grow Baby on a Tuesday. This is love in action. And it's this kind of sacrificial faith in action that we're all called to. True faith is always shown by what we do. There's no other way to see it. Faith is shown by deeds. And I love the illustration that we even see in the life of Jesus where people break through a roof, literally break through the roof of a a house to lower their friend into the presence of Jesus. And Jesus sees their faith in action and says to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven. Their faith was a visible thing. And then the last verse of our little passage, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Just as the physical body needs a spirit, faith needs works to make it live. Faith and works can't be separated. When faith and works are present in our life, our faith is active. So I'm just coming into land here. And some of us, if you're like me, you have a really sensitive conscience. conscience. And any time a subject like this comes up, all I can think about is what I've done wrong, all my inconsistencies, all my faults, and I will beat myself up. Other people might be completely the opposite end of the spectrum in complete self-denial and self-justification. They're like, no, no, I've got this thing, got this thing sorted. But actually, we are all invited to take time and to come into the presence of God. 
and to ask him about it. In 2 Corinthians 13, it says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. And King David put it really well in Psalm 19. He said, but who can discern their own errors? Forgive God my hidden faults. I think we would all agree it's way easier to spot the contradictions in somebody else's life and be less aware of the ones in our own. But James is calling us to show our faith by what we do. So we're going to come to a time of ministry now, and I think Mike and Liz are going to um, to lead us a little bit. But I th- I would really want to encourage us as we... Um, as we ask God to speak to us, to, to ask him to show us what we need to do. Ask him if there's anything in our lives that needs to align with what he says in his word. It may be that you just need to start small. You need to get in a small group. You need to start serving on a team, giving financially, or doing something to meet other people's needs. Or it may be that, he, that God wants you to forgive that person or do something about your driving or there are lots of things there are lots and lots of things that God can speak to us and we want to be a people who gives him full access to our hearts so we're going to pray now and um, see what he wants to say to us we hope you enjoyed the talk and found it helpful we'd love to welcome you to one of our gatherings we meet in multiple locations at multiple times on Sundays as well as in midweek small groups across the city more information on all of these can be found at our website birminghamvineyard.com Thanks for listening. Have a great day and God bless.